0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tjaša Zeitz. Women's health has increasingly garnered attention with growing research, investments and discussions surrounding the topic. Although overall digital health investments experienced a decline last year compared to previous years, The proportion of funds allocated to FEMTECH within the digital health budget has seen an upward trend. This is great news. However, there's still significant progress to be made. But what exactly is women's health? It encompasses more than just pregnancy care, breast and ovarian cancer or fertility. It also includes challenges related to gender-based violence or pleasure. In today's episode, you will hear from Shamala Hendrickson, founder and CEO of Hanai, an application providing reliable health information to the underserved communities in Malaysia and Africa. And the second speaker is Maria Teresa Samson Kadushi, founder and CEO of Mobile Afia, the first USSD application in Africa, using internet-free mobile technology to provide basic health information in local and native languages, starting with Swahili in Tanzania, East Africa. Maria, Theresa and Shamala have already been on Faces of Digital Health, and I attached the link to the previous episode recorded two years ago to the show notes. We talked about how tradition can hinder health literacy in Kenya, Tanzania, and Malaysia. The reason this is important is that, based on the meeting that we had two years ago, Shamala and Maria Teresa are now building a new app together. The SheHer app aims to address the gap in knowledge about female health, which goes beyond pregnancy related issues. They bring medical education and access while also bringing women into the conversation to share their personal stories which are validated with medical information. The SheHer team brings cultural diversity as well as generational differences to tackle this broad aspect of women's health globally. Enjoy today's discussion and make sure to subscribe to the show to be notified about new episodes automatically. Also, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Shamala and Maria Teresa, uh, welcome again. We spoke, I think, two or three years ago about Mobile Afya and uh, Hanai. Both solutions are focused on empowering women and everyone, actually, about healthcare information. Mobile Afia is used in Tanzania. Hanai is used more in Asia. But give me a quick update for the listeners. What are the key topics that you're currently covering under Mobile Afia and Hanai and which countries are the solutions currently used? Maria-Teresa, maybe you can start.
1: Yeah, thank you very much and thank you for having us again. So Mobile Afia is covering a range of topics from sexual reproductive health, which is focusing on women, And that covers menstrual health, maternal health, also sexual education. And then we have diseases, communicable diseases, non-communicable diseases, and so forth. And recently, not recently anymore, over a year ago, we also added COVID-19, so information on preventive measures, vaccinations, and, and so forth. That's among a range of topics that we cover at Mobile Afia, but specifically for special group, marginalized groups, we also have nutrition health that covers nutrition for women, nutrition for the elderly or people with disabilities, and so forth. And currently, we're still only in Tanzania, East Africa, I'm um, working with over <clears throat> 12,000 users who are actively on the platform. And yeah, so that's the quick update about our work.
0: Is it still a USSD application? So a very simple app for even dumb phones? Yes,
1: it's still USSD application. It's still offline. It's really targeting people in rural areas and those who do not have access to internet or smartphones.
0: Okay. Shamala, Jiwa Ibu is, not, is for smartphones, right? It's an app for smartphones.
2: Correct. But since I think we last spoke, some things have progressed. We have gone on to do a little bit more. Jiwa Ibu was the first product we built. And Hanai's whole ethos has, had traditionally been focusing on rural and marginalized populations, the vulnerable. Jiwa Ibu carried information on mental health, maternal health but it works on smartphones it can operate offline without using all the features but for most parts it also requires you to be able if you have internet then you can use all the chat features but the updates since we last spoke we are now in Mauritania northwest africa we launched a product bringing gender based violent information also targeted at the illiterate so even for especially girls who cannot read and write to be able to access information using a lot of edutech for young children as a basis, we' built a product that covers domestic violence, sexual violence, child marriage, genital mutilation, and wait for this in six languages. so we that, that particular app is called Najat, and we're continuing to branch up. We are in negotiations to run projects in Indonesia, Mozambique, Kenya. And in North America now, so since I'm based out of San Francisco, we are looking at North American projects because we also have rural, we have the vulnerable, we have the marginalized. That's where we are at.
0: You two are now together building something new, a new app that's based on women's health. And before we dive into what exactly you're working on, where would you say that women's health is in 2023, if you asked me? three years ago, what is women's health? I would say probably everything that's related to pregnancy and cervical cancer screening and regular checkups uh, at gynecologists, but it actually goes uh, way beyond that. Where would you say we are in 2023 in terms of the understanding what exactly is women's health and what is the knowledge about it?
1: first we have to give credit to you because it's actually because of you in this podcast that we met and as a result of that first meeting we are now building something together because we were already working in the same space we share the same passion on women health and we thought yeah why don't we actually build something that is targeting people like us and addressing the gap that already exist in female health and as you said what when we hear female health the first things that we think about are diseases or health conditions that impact women and pregnancy because that's what has been associated and talked about more about female health but female health is from when a young woman or when a girl experiences puberty so from menstruation that journey from that time at the age between 9 and 12 to menopause to when they yeah they do not experience or they don't have they don't menstruate anymore and they don't produce eggs and they go through all that the whole journey And I think there's not enough information out there about what this journey looks like. What are all these years spanning over 40 years that we go through as women experiencing our health? What does that look like? What are experiences for women who do not have children because they still go through their journey, their health journey as women? What is the experience like for older women or as we go through perimenopause or menopause? What does this look like?
2: Just building off everything that Maria Theresa said. So you asked the question, Chasa where are we in 2023 on female health? Nowhere where we should be. The journey is still so long and so far to go. But, and the product that we're building together, She, Her, uh, we're going to take it and I'm going to speak to it in two buckets The pain and the pleasure of being a woman. These are all female health. And right now, where we are in 2023, we're still struggling and very much focused on what comes out of menstruation? What is PCOS? How do we deal with endometriosis? What are period cramps? How do I get pregnant? What are contraceptions available to me? Is abortion an option if I require it for my safety? What happens when I have a female child? How do I move on from there? And then, oh dear, I'm waking up very hot and sweaty at night. I don't feel like having sex quite so often. What's going on with my body? And guess what? There's this death of information. Either you go in and you find this hard medical info that's actually quite daunting and very few stories, but come on, like half the world is female. We have to all be going through at some part of that journey. What is happening? What happens to your body when you're having an orgasm? Should you be having an orgasm? Is masturbation dangerous? Is it not dangerous? How often should I do it? How often should I not? This is also all part of female health. Everything is linked. And I think the one place that we can maybe celebrate a little bit in 2023 is the fact that there's a lot more acknowledgement. For instance, look at diseases like cardiac disease and menopause now there's a little bit more research and understanding on where that intersection is or are particular types of or is diabetes now becoming more apparent at certain levels in a woman's journey so that's where we are in female health a lot more exposure a lot more awareness and there is so much work to do which is why we're here
0: You're tackling a very broad aspect of women's health and what I find especially interesting in this aspect is that you are working already in very different cultures, very different places and I'm wondering to which extent are these topics different? Is it acceptable to talk about orgasms in all the cultures that you are addressing
1: It is not, it might not be acceptable, but it does not mean that women there are not experiencing it, or that maybe they might, they are not, but they should. So yes, we come from very different cultural backgrounds, and I think this is our main strength. She, her app is built by four women from four countries, so I and Shamala, we have Africa, Asia, and Europe, and also very different generations, so We have one of our co-founder who will be turning 60 and one in their 50s and another in their 40s and I in my 30s. So we come with very different cultural background, but also generational differences of how things were communicated or how things, apart from being communicated were talking about orgasm, even in Europe, accepted and acceptable when 40 years ago, when one of our team members was in, in her early 20s, most likely not. In an African context, how can we talk with women or how can we share stories that highlights sexual life of women of 50% of the population in the continent in a context that is acceptable culturally. So that is the knowledge that I bring on the table, that we can talk about this to this extent. But it's important to hear these stories. It's important to share these experiences. It's important for women in sub-Saharan Africa, women in Tanzania, to know that they are not going through experiences alone that there are other women that experience challenges in sexual health. There are women who experience intimacy or lack of intimacy in the way that they do. There are women who struggle with health conditions, female health conditions, that they also do things that are common like yeast infection. Yes, we do not talk about it, and not many people, not many women actually talk about it. But I think we should talk about them. We should explain or share medical information based on actual lived experiences of women and have these lived experiences that are backed by scientific information at the center. And the fact that we do not have this does not mean that we should continue not having not having platforms
0: like this. So this new application that you're building now, how is it going to be different compared to what you guys have already built in terms of bringing medical information to women?
2: Sure. I'm going to <clears throat> answer that question in again in a couple of parts. The first thing is, Chasati, actually I'm going to go back to the one question earlier where Maria Teresa brought such a wholesome answer to it. And I will frame it with what gives us the right sitting in the developed world to think that we are the ones with the right to orgasms and pleasure Mm -hmm. and no one else in the world and that they don't enjoy it. If we are beginning to look at the literature that's coming out, there's a wonderful book with Sex Lives of African Women. And you go back with my input from Asia, there's actual literature and discussions already on how to improve your sexual life that is material out there. We are just possibly not aware of it or we did, did not go around and get. That sort of sets the tone. The she app is an equalizer. So be you a woman in Europe where you are, in North America where I am, or someone in Africa, someone sitting on a hill in Indonesia, here is our time to be women the same. Because there's North American data that shows 80% of women in their 40s do not know what's menopause I do not know what actually happens with menopause. And trust me, if you take that info and take it across the world, you're just going to be building off that 80%, right? 80% is a staggering number. So that already is your equalizing factor where suddenly the birth lottery is beginning to now not really become such an issue anymore. Wherever you are, this is what's going on. So your question then on how does this differ from anything else we've done before? I think the big thing is, from what we've done before, we bring medical education. We've brought medical information. We bring medical access. That's been the primary role. How do we get someone to help immediately? That's what both Mobile Afia and Hana's products have built. Right now, we're breaking that up a little bit more. We're still doing that. But in addition, how do we bring all of this and bring women into that conversation right at the front? How do we, instead of saying things like 80% of people do this, this, how do we make sure that out of the 80%, how do we get all these women who come up and suddenly say, hey, you know what? When was the last time you ever looked at a picture of, or did you Have you ever seen an image of your own vagina? And this was mind-blowing for me. How do I equalize this conversation? How can I from San Francisco talk to you about it from Indonesia? How do I talk about alopecia once I was going through menopause or psoriasis once I started going back or that started having health problems? And the lived experience, the story, the journey, the real issue behind it, which is then validated by the medical info, by the by a gynecologist, by a medical writer, that's where it's differing. It's very much more personal. It's bringing women into the conversation.
0: I'm glad you brought up menopause because the way I'm observing it, it's a field that's being more public lately. There's a lot more discussions around menopause, around the fact that maybe it should be medicalized because at the moment we just treat it as something that happens. So deal with it. It's nothing special. You shouldn't complain. It's nothing too bad, but actually in the past, there has already been research that uh, done around the usefulness of having hormonal therapy to treat menopause. And just now, actually, the Mayo Clinic published a study, end of April, that showed that menopause costs American women an estimated $1.8 billion in lost working time per year because either they take sick leave, they decrease their working hours, or or are just affected in some other way. So maybe a quick comment on that. And I would also really love to hear what you've learned in your research so far, because the SheHer app is not a working product just yet you're gathering information about women and basically that questionnaire includes a lot of very personal questions around pleasure and the sexual awareness so I really wonder what you learned and who actually answered those questions so far
2: I'll just take that. I'll start with the menopause question and then I'll come to the, I'll, add, I'll lead into the questionnaire answers and Maria Theresa can speak a little bit more to it. Menopause. The one thing we keep hearing is it's a condition that needs to be treated. And I think we at app we want to change that. It's not a condition that needs to be treated. It's a phase. It's a journey in a woman's life. It's just like how we were valued when we started menstruating, when we start having children. It's another phase. It's part and parcel of our anatomy, our biology, our very being. It's a phase. We go through it. If you wanted us while we were pregnant, you're going to have us while we are menopausal. This is the reality. And I'm really glad that has now expanded so wonderfully to encompass looking at every aspect of healthcare. And it's not just a case of, I'm glad that the data is coming out saying this is the working hours affected. I'm also curious how much data is there on aging men and their loss of productivity. We don't have that data, at least not to my knowledge. I might be wrong and you can prove me wrong. But seriously, I think it's a case of, it's not a condition to be treated. It's the journey of a woman and we're going to acknowledge it and we're going to empower women with whatever tools that we will continue to build be it an app like she her be it products that come in hormonally whatever atypically atopically everything
0: but that's where we are going with it that's the part on menopause just so okay so what about the insights that you gathered through the app so far sure maritreza I- I- can questionnaire, speak questionnaire not the app
2: Correct. The questionnaire, and Maria Theresa can probably speak more to it. So we blasted it out in various languages, trying to encompass as many women as possible. The roaring yes, please to it is, yes, please, can we talk about this? People are so tired of like being made into a condition that needs to be treated, be it your periods, be it while you're pregnant, be it when you're menopausing it's we don't want to be treated, we want to be celebrated, we want to have the conversation. and I think from my last look at the question and answers it's across the board, so we ran it and we got answers North America, Asia, Tanzania, parts of Africa europe uh, and the staggering thing is it's equal it's equal in its ask not one it's not that only Europeans said, I want to know more about." masturbation and orgasm across everyone from the depths of an island in Malaysia to New York City. Maria, you can probably add more to it.
1: Yes, the need, or I think even the hunger for women to get information but also hear from others, hear the experiences of others and what they're going through and learn from that and maybe just relate to that and that's what we saw in, the, in our questionnaires women for example from Tanzania where yes these top topics, like, uh, topics like menopause are not talked about at all, I also didn't know about menopause until very later in life I knew about pregnancy, I knew about fertility, I knew about some female-based health conditions, but I didn't know much about menopause. And I'm seeing my mom, who is actively going through menopause now, and the challenges that she is going through, and the lack of understanding around menopause, and also how that affects her health, how that affects her well-being, And I know when I shared also the questionnaire with her, she said, yeah, I also want to hear from others. What are others experiencing? Because I think I don't hear from anyone that they're going through what I'm going through. There is a lack of those shared lived experiences. And also the lack of information makes it means that younger women who will go through menopause and other phases of life do not know what to expect. They don't have enough understanding of how to mitigate that. The treatments like hormonal therapy are not available for everyone. They, are not, they will not be available in developing countries for a long time. So how are women going through menopause now? How should they be going through until that is available? And what does it mean to them? And this is also something that we are looking forward to seeing as we will be getting and hearing more from women what are those experiences like? And also to share our own experiences, because even sharing our own experiences before even we started with the survey, we have very different experiences. It, had, it was the most interesting for me as the youngest person in the group to just hear these experiences and to just get the first glimpse. And it was the first time that I heard a woman, apart from my own mother, talking about their I mean, about menopause. I've never had anyone else. And uh, other people were from our research, from our surveys, hearing what they have to say. And I think we should share more. We should gain an understanding of our journeys, our health journeys as women so that we are prepared, but also so that we are informed and I think my biggest hope or like what I think this could make is that also that policies and narratives will be changed about what a woman goes through and what phases they go through. So,
2: yeah. And Chasa, I want to add something to what Maria Theresa said because it's actually so crucial. The other insane qualifier for us is her mother is from the medical profession, working in the medical profession. So if you're not a doctor working in specifically health for women at that stage, it's the same thing. If you So even within our whole group of, of women on our team and the ones that we begin to speak to, the one big thing we begin to notice is that it doesn't matter that you came out of That you lived in London, moved to New York, your issues could still be very similar as to if you came out of Kuala Lumpur and moved to Taipei. So really that in itself, or whether you trained in biology and went to med school and you did engineering and you're a software engineer. This is where all our stories are coming out now.
0: Given how access to healthcare information and just the attitude towards health differs in different countries, how would you assess the role of technology in this? Especially since um, I remember, Maria Teresa, when we had our first discussion, you were explaining to me how basically women might fear that if somebody sees from their family what kind of information they were searching for that they might get in trouble just because of that. So from that perspective, I'm wondering how does technology and the information that you plan on providing or sharing, uh, how does it need to be adapted so, in essence, it doesn't get people in trouble because getting in trouble is not necessarily that somebody is going to make fun of you or is going to punish you. In some cultures, it can really be, I don't know, it, it can have a really hard consequences.
1: The advantage is that we have the cultural context. So, Shiha is going to operate in places where we understand how culture works so I know, for example, what privacy means in an African context versus in the European context. What is more important for a woman in Tanzania? For example, not being identified might be more important to them so that they are not known who they are, who's sharing this story. So they might not be willing to make videos, for example, talking about their personal experiences, but they might they will be willing to do an narration with audio. They are willing to talk about their experiences because no one will actually know exactly what they're talking about, especially if it's about tabooed topics such as sex and pleasure, because that's something that people might not be willing to talk about as openly. But they will be open to talk about diseases. They will be open to talk about things like yeast infection because they are not as intimate or they're not as personal. So having this cultural understanding helps us mitigate through technology and how technology will be applied as as a source of information. And I think it's also important to change behaviors. And this is something that technology has a power of doing, that to be able to transform, to be able to create a new culture, or even to advance a positive trait in our cultures, we have to be willing to move, to push it around the edges a little bit. That even if, right now something like that does not exist but what how will it look like if it exists because we will not know we don't know we don't have any platform like this in tanzania we have radios where at night people call anonymously through a radio and talk about their love life we know this is possible and they do but because there's that anonymity that no one will know that I have shared this intimate information and we're just building on top of that but pushing it a bit on the edge and say let's see if Tanzanian women share some of the intimate and some of the difficult also experiences. What will it be like? What will the response be like? And I think there will be learnings from that. But at least in the beginning, we know how to navigate through privacy and how to handle information, how to handle identity. Yes.
0: Shamala, can you add a little bit of a comment here? We were mostly focusing so far on the developing countries like Tanzania, and Malaysia, that the two companies that you built in the past already are present in. But given that you are based in the US and in California, I'm really curious to hear from you a comment on what Maria said around privacy, around the need to be informed, around sexual health and everything related to it especially in light of Roe versus Wade and how basically abortion is practically being criminalized and technology is potentially problematic in this in the sense that now people worry that they will be found out if they bought a pregnancy test with their pay card or that some based on where the Uber driver leaves you you might be identified as visiting an abortion clinic. So there's a lot of concerns around the surveillance that we've built with social media and applications and how that can actually impact when the context around things like abortion changes so radically as it did in the US.
2: Thanks, Jessa. I think two of the things that Maria said when she spoke, policy and behavior, that's the power of the digital world at the moment. Through... technologies that we continue to create we we are influencing behavior and through mass behavior change we have and backed by data we have the opportunity to change policy i'll start with an example that is not necessarily an example i know from america but it's going to translate in 30 seconds when i keep talking a malaysian woman who's divorced so not married cannot access contraception if she is Muslim. So, the understanding is, you're Muslim, you're not married, you cannot engage in sex, so I'm not going to give you contraception. And then, if she does get pregnant, <coughs> abortion is illegal to this Muslim woman. Just try to think of this woman and the life that she's going through already, right? Like, it's mind-boggling and blowing. And that's when a product like ours, a technology product like ours, comes in to help her out because we are now in a place to be able to provide info, access for her to be able to ask the question and for her to read about how other people are navigating this all together. If you take that, this is from one of our actually interviews towards the building of the app. It's a real story. So she was able to provide her info anonymously. We were able to start to see how this is going on. Now, I take that whole thing and I move it to here, to the United States. Guess what? (laughs) No, not depending on where you are in the U.S. and where Roe Wade affects you, you're in a very similar situation all over again. And I think that is the challenge to us building technology. How do we make sure while we want to provide this ability for you to move a step forward that we keep you safe? Thankfully, we don't necessarily have to build everything from scratch ourselves. People have already built highly secure products. We just need to piggyback on that and keep moving with that. And ensure that they are not getting themselves into trouble.
0: Do you perhaps have any data or analysis on the impact that your past products have had basically on the users? And what I mean by that is, Maria Teresa, you basically started Mobile Afia because you were working with homeless children and you realized that the solution for that problem is not to build more shelters for children, but to give women education about birth control and family planning. So uh, do you have any data around the impact? Yes.
1: So you're right. When I started Mobile AFIA it was based on the issue that I had. And Before it became Mobile Afia, it was Msichana, which means a girl. It was an app just for women because all the issues that I came across were based on women challenges. The fact that the average age of a mother of those homeless children was 17 years old. So it was underage pregnancy that created homeless children. I also learned that the average number of children that each family hold had, the family, the household of a homeless child, were five children. And so they lived in extreme poverty. What that highlighted to me was lack of sexual and reproductive health education and information, which is again a women issue, a female issue mainly. We wish also that men or boys are educated so that they can make those informed decisions, but primarily it's a women's issue. And these challenges still do exist today. And it's not only Tanzania, it's also lack of contraceptive education globally, and especially in Sub-Saharan Africa, that women, those women did not even know that they can get, I mean, that they, if they have a choice to get pregnant. So I think just continuing that work, She, Her, Ab focuses on women only and women only issues, including challenges and barriers that we have in our societies. And one of the biggest barriers for women in sexual reproductive health is education and information access of that education and access of that information to make the right decisions to make healthier decisions out of 12,000 people that we have impacted over 60% of them are women so we were able to provide that education to women that information to women but it was in a broader range the difference with the work that we're doing with Sheher app is that it's going to focus only on women and only on female-based information but also in sharing the journey imagine if these women who got pregnant at 17 were able to share their experiences talking about their first sexual encounter. How did they decide to have sex? What was that like? And tell those stories and share those lived experiences with other younger women so that they have an understanding of what does that journey look like? What does a journey of underage pregnancy look like? What does it look like? What are the health challenges of someone who gives birth at 17 or 18? What is the continuation of their health until they have five children in the span of 10 years? These women never share their actual experiences. We don't get to learn from them. We hear about them. We see them in statistics, in some clinical data that are collected by hospitals or sometimes in research. But we see numbers. We don't really hear their stories and their experiences, and we don't get medical experts who actually talk about, back that information, back that story with information, with the right information about underage pregnancies, with the risks that comes with underage pregnancies, with future health conditions, with risks of cancer, like cervical cancer, and other risks that comes with that, but center it on those stories. So I am very excited on extending this impact, but having a woman or having that female at the center of it, at the center of that education, at the center of that sharing of information.
2: Chasa, the thing that most, I think, has excited us up to now with any of the work that we've done and 98% of the time, we have a zero to one, which to me is the most important part of the work, the fact that we are achieving zero to one success in such a high number of people, just sure because that's the highest impact, right? Like when you, and on a, I'm going to take it away from numbers and the data. I just want to give you an anecdotal story. It was a 15 year old girl who cannot read from a Hassania community in Northwest Africa. And she looked at one of our products. She managed to navigate through, find her language and this is the sound she made when she found out that genital mutilation is illegal by law of her country and by her religion this is the sound she made uh-huh that's a 0 to 1 until that point in time she didn't know that's illegal she didn't know that she has an ability to try and fight for herself but that point onwards She's then multiplying that. She's going to tell her sister. She's going to tell her friends. She's going to tell her cousins. She's going to tell everyone in her circle. That's the highest rate of impact that we are seeing. That speaks to the place that we work mostly, the vulnerable communities. And I think with she, her, what we're going to see is everything that Maria Theresa said. And I think the additional factor is that we are going to see in terms of impact is that push why isn't a healthcare up of a city, of a country, why is it not set up to actually have experts in particular female health matters? Like, why are we stopping at a certain stage? Where do we need to put money and effort into it? That's the impact that we want to keep seeing, that we want to see mm-hmm. happening.
0: Speaking of money, what are your experiences so far regarding this specific app When it comes to investors and investments, I mentioned already that you've been working as entrepreneurs for over years, but if we look at the percentage of funding inside digital health investments that's attributed to FemTech, it's luckily going up. So according to TechCrunch, it went from 7.6% in 2020 to 13.26% in 2022 do you how what's your experience do you observe a bigger interest of investors to support these topics
2: we're seeing a lot of females investing in the space i think that's the experience we're seeing so a lot of women are stepping up to say this is the area we're beginning to see you have the statistics already right like women don't get funded enough. Women who look like Maria, Theresa and I do not get funded ever. No, that's not true, but it's like a miracle if we ever get funded. So we are really like the detritus at the bottom of the ladder. But guess what? We're doing the work. We are building, we're reaching people, we're impacting people. We believe in the story that we're telling. We believe in the work that we're doing. So investments from the women who are investing into the field, And I'm going to throw this as a challenge to the men who are listening, men who want to invest in what would aid their mothers, their sisters, the mothers of their children.
1: Take a look, come speak to us. Just to quickly add on that is yes, women invest in women. Majority of femtech is funded by women because I mean, they see the importance, and also because it's, a, it's tech that affects or that will impact half of the population anywhere. The fact that there is a struggle in getting finance for this is already problematic. But also, we, both of us, before joining, we have worked with women only. We have run female-only companies, and we have gone through those processes of raising funds just as women and also as women of color, as women who are working in communities that are normally not prioritized. They are always prioritized in times of crisis, and we know that some of these challenges, and if we don't build to address some of these problems, they will end up being... Crises. And before they become that, we want to address them. But also someone has to solve problems and build companies around people who look like us, solving problems and challenges of people who look like us, who are a very large group. So, yes, again, to men and investors out there, there is a market. There are people who are doing The work in femtech. And I think the numbers are saying they're almost doubling, but it's not enough yet. I think there should be more.
0: Is there anything that you observed on the market that you find especially inspiring when it comes to women's health, because the rise in funding also increased ideas and research and product development? The one big thing
2: that has stood out and it's not just limited to Femtech is mental health. So I think that's been staggering and so much needed. And I'm so glad that we have attention to it now. So the products, the investments into mental health gives me hope and courage that we are going to follow. We are going to ride that wave.
1: But also clinical research. I think technology is has has an opportunity to equalize the lack of data when it comes to research and also when it comes to female health. Because in the past, most of the research, most of clinical research was done on men, also on medication, on different health conditions due to various reasons that women are too complex or so that they have... And they might get pregnant and they will not sustain the period of research and they're not as viable. But now we have technology and we're able to collect information and collect data that we did not do when we were doing traditional research. So I see a very huge opportunity to actually have new sets of data that have never existed before just because women were not included in research as much as they should have been.
0: And just to throw in a number on that, according to the World Economic Forum Global Health Report, 4% of research and development budgets are focused on women's health, and there are even limitations on the availability of clinical data on women, as those of reproductive age were historically excluded from clinical trials. So I guess we still have a long way to go, but as we mentioned, investments have been rising inside of digital health. And I guess we can wrap up by saying that we hope it's going to stay that way.
1: I hope this number will triple. And I mean, in sub-Saharan Africa, it's 1%. And in some countries, it's less than 1% that goes to female health, but that goes to female teens that feel on tips of entrepreneurs and innovators. So it's already, it's just very insignificant. And even tripling will still not be enough, but it will be good if they
0: really increase massively. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast subscribe to the show, or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at fodh.substack.com. That's fodh.substack.com. Stay tuned.